Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your, I accidentally karate chopped a, a, a bag of garbage with glass in it and ended up with a couple of stitches and a splint host, Cam Harless. Oh. And with me, as always, is your got a little bit of the white stuff and did some donuts in her front, front yard hostess, Miss Jessica Green. <laughs> yeah, my neighbors decided they were going to do donuts in my <laughs> front yard. And I went down there to bring Hellfire and Fury and then they offered me beer. So we're friends now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it takes. That's all it takes. <laughs> Give me like, alcohol. We're sorry. We have be a friends. beer. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so. <sighs> so how 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 was the snow? You, you feeling better off of the COVID stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's why I was so uh, pliant to my neighbors because uh, I hadn't had social interaction in so long <laughs> that I was just happy to see people. And I was really appreciative of it. Um, yeah, so we had snow for a couple of days. And then um, it's gone now. But we're supposed to get more on Friday. So that's a lot for Georgia, we normally get one day mm -hmm. of snow and then it goes away, which is just the way that I like it. So Unless this extra snow. snow yeah, well, even that that was only like a couple of days and then it went away. Yeah. But to get snow and then more snow, I don't yeah. like. That doesn't this. sound like the South. No, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't like it. <laughs> as long as it melts in between, I'm typically happy because yeah. it's when it doesn't melt and then the snow plows come and you get that really dirty, awful looking snow that like gray and black. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I just rather not. That's uh, no good. But. We do have a show to do, but before we do that, I do want to remind you that our show is 100% brought to you by the fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe, join, uh, you know, subscribe on YouTube, join our Patreon for the occasional early episode. There will be an early episode next month uh, mm -hmm. during February. Um, we have Zoom hangouts and uh, you'll have my and Jessica's eternal gratification. So patreon.com slash the mad ones. And if you want a shirt or a mug, or what? What's this? What's his face? I just I think it's gratitude. Gratification's a different thing. No, I'm gonna gratify them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm joke, and now I'm a pervert. Um, but if you want to get a, a shirt, a tank, a mug, if you go to wearethemadones.com/store, you can get one. You can wear our logo around and tell people about how how I'm going to gratify you all. But tonight we're joined by, uh, again, by a friend of the show, an occasional podcaster, an ordained minister, and someone very passionate about the word of God and almost equally passionate about his hatred for IP, uh, a techno agorist and lover of share, Mr. Ryan Burgett. Hey. Welcome. <laughs> I can put I my too. mic on for a moment to say hi, or at least try to. I too, I too love share. So we are bonded. Oh, we're talking about share the music share. I was thinking oh. IP share. And I'm like, just because I'm no. not into IP doesn't mean I want to share stuff. I'm like, come on. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I thought you meant like, oh, like share. Yeah, like, I mean, no, share. I love share. <laughs> share is, okay, yeah, yeah, share is fantastic. I just missed it the first time. Yeah, how could <laughs> how could you not love share? What's oh, funny is I agree completely. What's yeah. funny is on <laughs> Zoom, Ryan's picture is a very old picture of share. Okay. And 
Uh, I like we we've some we use the Zoom for different things, and I forgot to log out of that Zoom account at work, and it just showed his name and a picture of Share, and everyone was like, <laughs> "Who's coming in? Really? To our? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we if we could get Share though, that would be great. She's awesome. And she when is. you say a very old picture of Share, do you mean like? Uh, 70s, right? Yeah, like Sunny and Cher yeah. show Cher. Like, oh, yeah. Well, that was her best she's days. She's been around. Honest, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, I agree. And yeah, she's awesome. And um, I really, I my friendship level for you has risen now that I know that you love Cher too. <laughs> yeah, it's always awesome. <laughs> I, I wear that in all sorts of professional things as well or have that pick. So it, it it's always people go, hi. <laughs> 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 What was funny is when I got into the the meeting, they changed my name to not Ryan as soon as the video started, because I was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't leave now. Uh, but yeah, so I thought it was because they were like, why? Who is that? Is that your mother? And what? No, it's not my mother. It's not even my name. <laughs> what do you think I'm I doing with Zoom? <laughs> your mother was not as cute as Cher. Yeah. Um, my mom was pretty cute. She was not as dark haired as Cher. So <laughs> his mom's pretty know. adorable. I mean a you Sorry. in general. I wasn't talking specifically about your mom this time. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that we, we brought you on today is because we've talked about this subject a bunch of times. Like it, when we were in the office, we talked about it really just between us. We've never really brought this to an, a show before, I don't think. And so I was like, well, this is something when I, t I told someone that we were going to talk about this, they had no idea that the Bible that you have in your bedside table most likely is copyrighted and you have to ask permission to put those words into a writing project if you do it, if you put it up and if you put it in a sermon, technically, they could do that. They could say, hey, why do you on how many this? words you use, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I told wild, my husband, and I'd love to hear about it. I told my husband about it in the car and he had no idea about this. Well, it's one of those things that people just don't, it just don't, doesn't cross your mind. You know, you don't necessarily mm -hmm. think about it in normal life, but then there comes a point. I mean, especially if you're like, you know, recording sermons and putting them online or, or even blog posts, you know, and you, and you start noticing at the bottom of blog posts, you know, uh, passage passages from, you know, the new King James version used with permission of, uh, you know, of, uh, Thomas mm -hmm. Nelson and, uh, yeah. Well, New King James, yeah, Thomas Nelson. If it was NIV, yeah, that's Underman. But um, right. yeah, so uh, started noticing that, and that's it was when I was looking for a for a, a Bible API online because you know sometimes when you're doing a website, you just want to be able to grab portions of the Bible programmatically. That I went, wait, how does exactly this work? And then um, that's when I found the Net Bible. I was like, oh, a Net Bible? What? Where'd that come from? And I read about it and suddenly I, I went, holy crap, that's that's true. So, yeah, or, or at least the fact that, yeah. Ah, I'm tired. I'll do my <laughs> best too. to be uh, coherent. <laughs> but, so, yeah, when you started looking into it, was it was there like some history of the copyright process with the Bible that you you came well, across? Yeah, the main... Or? The main thing was the Net Bible is called the Net Bible because it was made specifically for the internet. Okay, the internet popped up in the 90s, you know, the World Wide Web, you know, 
and suddenly people are hey we're they're posting stuff online they're making you know early blog type things and they're and they're posting bible stuff and bible verses and there was a bunch of people who suddenly realized oh wait a second how does that work we have a free platform the internet you know where we can post anything we want and yet the things we want to post are from these you know copyrighted versions of the bible what are we supposed to do and I mean, it wasn't exactly clear what would happen then. You know, is, is, it, is it like books? Because if you read a, a biblical-based book and it has a bunch of Bible passages at the beginning, it'll say, you know, uh, such and such are used, licensed and used with the permission of Zondervan or uh, Thomas Nelson or whoever. Are you going to mm -hmm. do that on websites? So a bunch of people got together and said, let's make a Bible specifically for the web, for the Internet. And this will be a completely free and open Bible that anybody can use without reservation, without anything. They can just use it as much as they want. And yeah, so they got together a group of uh, scholars, brilliant scholars from across the Christian spectrum, and uh, they they translated the Bible, but they did it in a completely new way because of course in the past the way translations always happened is you get you know a bunch of smart people together usually people who all agree you know like a bunch of baptists or a bunch of these people or a bunch yeah. of calvinists or a bunch of you know the the ryrie guys all right so you get a bunch of people who agree with you and then you go behind closed doors and you spend a year or two working on your bible and you you go through all over every verse and you decide okay this is how it should be translated you finish it up and yay we're good but these guys said, well, let's get a broad spectrum of people from the church, you know, brilliant, you know, scholars from across the board, not necessarily one ideological, uh, you know, group. All right? right. And let's bring them together and let's not only make a Bible for the Internet, but let's use the Internet in order to make it. So they started, they did their work online, actually, and they shared their progress online, including their translation notes. So as they were translating, they were sharing it in real time online and sharing their notes online so people could follow their translation process. It's the first Bible that was published in its entirety on the internet, not in on paper. And then, of course, <clears throat> afterwards, after they finished it, they put it in paper. But then since they'd collected all those notes online, you know, translation notes as they were, because they were collaborating online, you know, with text. They said, hey, let's go ahead and put those inside the um, Bible itself. So you can hmm. buy the Net Bible and you can buy the Net Bible with the translate, the original translator's notes as they were talking through how they translated everything in the Bible. And unlike many Bibles, which have notes and the Bibles, you know, a certain bit thicker than a Bible without notes, the Net Bible with notes is like twice as thick because it's just, so many notes because it's all of the translation notes as they for the first time in history had an open and public translation of the bible and when they finished it they had this bible they called it the net bible because it's the freely distributable bible for the internet and of course they did copyright it but it was copyrighted to stop other people from you know copywriting it and it's completely open uh. you don't have to license it or do anything in order to uh use it you know it's just there and completely free. Anybody, I have it. I have the full Bible on multiple websites and apps, and things. You just because I can. And anytime I blog online, I use the Net Bible. Anytime I uh, speak, I speak with the Net Bible. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> so in terms of translation, what are we looking at with the Net Bible? Is this like an NIV? Is this a King James version? What kind of Bible are we looking at? Well, we are talking about a very, it's a, well, like NIV. Okay, NIV, they were trying to be super readable. Like we're going to be the, the super mm -hmm, readable. Mm -hmm. And they, they lean toward a paraphrase, you know, more than a direct translation. These guys, the Net Bible guys, lean more toward a literal like let's really formal. get the get the text as close as yeah formal and get the okay. text as close as possible so that was that was their goal but they did balance readability with accuracy extremely well it okay. um like you say you read something like the new american standard and it's just awful like it the, yeah. the word orders are wrong it's just not readable and they say ours is the most accurate translation it's not if it doesn't make sense in the language that you translated it in. And it's also right, doesn't right. count if you translate poems, but they don't sound like poems. They just sound like right. words. Like just it, if you lose the style and you lose the flow of the text, you lose a significant portion of the meaning, in my opinion. They, okay. they meant that very well for what it was. So I don't have any qualms about using it in the uh, pulpit. And I've never heard anyone complain either about me using it. So if they are translating it, where do they translate it from? And is that copy from which they are translating also copyrighted? Uh, well, depends on how many thousands of years you're willing to go back. Yeah, right. Because they translated <laughs> it right from the uh, from the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, okay. For the Hebrew, they went with the the regular texts that most everyone uses. Uh, for the New Testament, yeah. They went with the more popular um, manuscripts, the Westcott and Hort manuscripts that every translation in the world is built off of, except for the King James and New King James, which I consider okay. very unfortunate. But um, even like when you're teaching the Bible, if it's missing a verse, like the Westcott and Hort manuscripts are, I can say, and here's the rest of it. <laughs> you know? Okay. I mean, as in... Yeah, where Jesus says this kind, this kind of demon can only come out by prayer and fasting. You know, Westcott and Hort said, "Oh, that's not supposed to be there. Just yank that out there." So then Jesus, there's, it's not the end of what he was saying. It's like, how do we, how do we get into a place where we can then cast out these demons? It comes from a lifestyle of prayer and fasting until you, you've grown closer to God and you eat it. But either way, Westcott and Hort said, "Yeah, we don't, we don't need that." yanked that verse out there said it wasn't supposed to be there so but when i'm teaching i'll say and <laughs> give them the rest <laughs> of the context wow which, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that the bibles that they have are translated by a couple of guys i guess westcott and hort are the responsible for translating this greek and then these two not fellas translated what they're not translating they, well it was in the 1800s that uh uh, Dar Darwinism was on the rise and that okay. was catching on like wildfire in academic circles. So of course the new hip thing was, uh, is Darwinism. So you're going to be a, you're going to believe in, uh, Darwinism and evolution, not that old, old Christian stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So then the Christian scholars in the 1800s, they, uh, like most scholars, they wanted to be taken seriously and be, you know, cool like the rest of the scholars. We're, we're scholarly too. So they weren't willing to jump on the Darwinian wagon. 
but they were trying to basically save face and be as as show that they were still uh, scholarly. So then these two guys, mm -hmm. Anglicans, Westcott and Hort, many will make the case that they weren't even Christian at all, even though they, I mean, technically they were Anglicans. But I don't, they were nuts. Either way, but these two <laughs> super scholars, Westcott and Hort said, well, we know that the same scripture were passed down from the, from the, you know, the earliest churches all the way to the King James, you know, translations. And that there's all those copies of, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of copies, you know, tons and tons more pieces of that. We have letters okay. from the original early church fathers that predate the Dead Sea Scrolls that quote directly from the Textus Receptus, which is Textus Receptus means the received text, meaning the text that was passed down through the through the centuries up until the time where they did the King James Bible. Okay. And it was the same text that they used to do the uh, New King James. They said, even though all that exists, they said, we should instead use the Alexandrian texts. And there was like, what, two or three <laughs> that uh, manuscripts that they had. And they disagreed significantly on many portions of the Bible, uh, those three texts. And you wonder, okay. you know, okay, so we have hundreds of texts or hundreds of manuscripts. They were passed down through centuries, church to church to church, like active churches who were teaching and using these. And then you have these three that were in Alexandria. Tell me, how, how big was the church in Alexandria? <laughs> At the, the early church, Alexandria wasn't a huge church hub. Okay, that was okay. where the Gnostics went, the Gnostics who were kicked out of the church, the Gnostics who were leading people astray, the Gnostics who John wrote against and Paul wrote against. And the Gnostics were the ones who hung out in <laughs> Alexandria. So, yeah, we're going to take these three, these three, which disagree with the scriptures that the earliest church fathers, which not early, I said predate Dead Sea Scrolls. I meant predate Alexandrian manuscripts, okay? Okay, because I was like, I don't, think, I don't think they do that. No, no, no. <laughs> they predate the Alexander uh, quotes from early church fathers that, that predate the Alexandrian manuscripts. And even though churches, active churches, you know, pass down these things, we're going to go with the three texts from the Gnostics in Alexandria and trust that they are the best, um, they are the best manuscripts. So they went through and they, looking at the Alexandrian manuscripts, they said, this is the correct New Testament and put all their scholarly weight behind it. So a huge number of wow. basically all Christian, you know, scholars in order to, you know, they wanted to be taken seriously. So they're like, ah, here's something real scholarly we can latch on to. So they all latch on to, okay. and hey, you know, we're, you can trust we're we're scholarly we're smart we only use the westcott and hort you know manuscripts and those westcott and hort then became because they became the standard scholarly accepted manuscripts they became the standard of every single translation you can think of except for king james and new king james new king james really bucked the trend when they said yeah we're going to do the king james but we're going to do a new king james and we're going to use it go directly from the original Textus Receptus, the original received text. So they were criticized. Which you would the consider the more <laughs> the more accurate of the two is the Textus Receptus. I certainly would, because okay. I trust the church more than a bunch of Gnostics who are kicked out of the church for leading people away from the from the gospel. You right. Know? And once again, yeah. the some of uh, well, basically every 
section that differs between the Textus Receptus and the uh, Alexandrian manuscripts have been quoted by early church fathers that predate the dating of the Alexandrian manuscripts. So why right, would they okay. be quoting from something, you know, different from the yeah. Alexandrian manuscripts? And if you're talking just about age, they predate the Alexandrian manuscripts. The one section that doesn't, the one section that is not explicitly quoted by an early church father is uh, the end of Mark, that last chapter there. Yeah. Which there's, so, I mean, but there's, there's really good reason to believe that is supposed to be part of the scripture, that last chapter in Mark, but that's beyond the scope of our discussion today. <laughs> I, I, I've heard a lot of debate about that last um, bit in Mark and haven't understood the particulars of why it is debated. And so that does shed a little bit of light for me. I didn't even realize that there was this um, difference in the, the translation and their origins. And I don't even think a lot of people realize that the church existed for hundreds of years before all of this text was codified in the first place. Well, so all of this is like very enlightening to a new Christian. Well, it also opens the door to what texts do you trust? Because once in the 1800s, they started saying, let's decide what is right and what is wrong in terms of the text. That's when other people started saying, well, if that's where we're going, well, what about this text here? And what about this text here? And what about this gospel here? And what about this gospel of Mary Magdalene and this and that and that? And they started saying, why not include those? And it became a became a big thing, you know, right. which is now today you have so many people who just go, you can't trust those scriptures. They were just something that somebody grabbed hundreds of years after the fact. But right. That's not fair. You can look, you can read quotes in early church writings that quote from the scripture as we know them today from very early, like within less than 100, 200 years. And then you have right. the letters themselves where they quote from each other sometimes. And you have the gospels, which copy from each other as well. Like yeah. they were peers. They were, they were reading each other's stuff and they were passing it around and they were writing about it. And right. uh, if we're talking about the difference well, like I would trust what is passed down through the church. Now, I don't I don't feel that I have to give a technical scholarly reason for it because I trust that God protected the scripture going through time. I have no reason mm -hmm. to think that he wouldn't, you know? Yeah. So if the church is passing it down from generation to generation, that's a good thing. Like right. I can okay, if if the church has been using for example the Textus Receptus as the standard primary new testament for a thousand years for 1500 years for 1800 years you know i mean obviously it wasn't that long let's maybe say maybe you know <laughs> regardless over a thousand years okay this is the scene as the received text all right i have to wonder did god like accidentally just like lose the scripture for those years and god goes dang it sure hate the fact that everyone had the wrong scripture all those years Man, really right. stinks that the Alexandrians dug those three manuscripts, three that disagree with the over 500. Okay. Yeah. Let's too bad that they, you know, did that. Wow. If you, if you look at the Bible and you compare that with other, you know, ancient texts, whether you're talking about religious texts, historical texts, you know, you could talk about texts, uh, you know, uh, Iliad and the Odyssey, you know, any of these or, you know, really old things that you have, okay? 
the Bible blows anything that exists in the history of the world, any classical text, out of the water. Nothing has anywhere near the amount of of uh, copies as what you have here. With the Bible, you have hundreds of matching manuscripts. Okay, these things match. This is crazy. Right. This is unheard of. The most you have of other things is, oh, I forget the numbers. It's been too long since I've done real apologetic study. I used to be able to give you the exact numbers of, you know, how many copies of the Iliad and the Odyssey and uh, what's his name, the the Roman historian at the turn of the, of, uh, you know, BC to AD. But um, yeah, man, I'm willing to trust that. I'm willing to trust right. that. Like, that's incredible. Right. But if you switch, if you say, no, 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 those are the wrong ones. And the real Bible is the, they're the real New Testament specifically, are the Alexandrian ones. Then you immediately take it and you put it in the same category as any other ancient text. And in my opinion, that fits, I mean, that seems to fit with the, well, what a non-Christian person would want to be the narrative. That the Bible is just another ancient text. You know, we got a couple copies, you know, can't really trust it. You know, a bunch of people hundreds of years ago gathered together, whatever. And um, as opposed to, holy crap, there are hundreds of times more copies of the Bible than you'll find of any other text in all of human history. You could be more sure that the Bible was written and was correctly uh, maintained and kept, you know, over time than you can with any other historical text since the beginning of time. Like, that's crazy. So I do, I do think that that has bearing on what we're talking about, though because we're talking about like who owns the word of God. And even before you get into these publishing houses and intellectual property, you already have this problem with this Westcott and Hort situation where, you know, who owns the word of God is what is determined to be scholarly, what is determined to be the academic reading. And so um, I do think that that actually does have a great deal of bearing on this because um, not only do you have this Westcott and Horton situation happening in the 1800s, but also historically you have people um, keeping the texts of the Bible to a very specific group of people where, you know, the lower classes don't know how to read, aren't taught to read and have mm. to get their biblical information from you know, whoever their priest is or whoever the authorities of that day are. So it seems like um, almost every step of the way you have the words of God being sequestered as special privilege of academic classes. And that didn't, that hasn't stopped, you know, that right. even though we have this free Bible online, the idea that the, the Bible is the special preserve of these people, these special people, that has never ended. That is a really good point. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting about you saying that there are only three, um, what was it, three texts of the, um, I keep wanting to say Scott Horton. Manuscripts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Westcott and I think Horton. Uh, Westcott West and Horton. Horton Gospels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what that makes me think of the fact that, that this is what's interesting, is uh, I've been... Um, doing some reading and listening on like ancient cosmology lately because I'm a giant nerd. And one of the more interest, one of the more interesting things to come out in the last 200 years was um, the Ugaritic texts, which is where we got the tale of Gilgamesh. 
So that was less than 200 years ago that this was found. And there are only two copies of the Epic of Gilgamesh. And yet everyone who doesn't want the Bible to be real or true or good will talk about how you can't trust it, There, blah, blah, blah. And then there are these hundreds, thousands of records of the Bible but between these three and the rest, and not to mention the um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which just keep showing more and more how we're getting, you know, not that we're, it's not, not that the Bible is, we're getting a little bit better at translating it. And I love that. But they had the Sumerian religion died right after it was mentioned in the Bible, and no one heard about it again until about 150 years ago. It was after the Civil War, yeah. which part of it was from Napoleon annexing Egypt. And the other mm-hmm. part, um, I forget, uh, it was it was out of um, Baghdad, I want to say. It's out of Iraq. They found so, some other ones. And so it's just wild because of um, different countries trying to annex different lands. They were able to get these these texts and that's when the scholars went in you get all the color of what the canaanite people were like and it really taught it shows you how genesis was written you know it's just and just because you know napoleon wanted a wanted egypt and now we have these things that that it's like uh I i forget who was talking about it but they were talking about how for years you know hundreds of years uh, the Bible, the Old Testament, the Torah has been understood that you don't, there's a verse about how you're not supposed to mil- uh, mix or boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Right? Right. You're not supposed to do that. But no one ever knew why. And so, you know, in the, the, the is it Mish- Mishratic text, when they were talking about this, they decided that it was a, a mixture of life and death. And so you don't mix life and death. And so that's why the Jewish people don't eat cheeseburgers or mix dairy and and meat. Hmm. And so that's been that way forever. And so then these texts come out and some other archaeological finds within uh, the Canaanite areas. It turns out that was one of the things that they did as part of their um, idolatrous rituals and their sacrifices. So it was not about cheeseburgers at all. It was about not following false gods which mm. plays right into everything that the rest of the Torah is about <laughs> right wild and i love it i love okay, archaeology so, <laughs> so we've caught me up to they created a bible on the internet which is like i guess maybe if i'm using the wrong term correct me but like open source everyone's allowed to use it for any purpose you don't have to ask permission it was unfortunately taken from the Westcott and Hort. That's kind of a separate issue. But they translated it. They put it on the internet. It's free for everybody to use. Where do we go from here? Well, you know, I hit this point. You know, every Bible you have out there, if you want to use it, you have to license it. Depending on how many words you use, words per post, words per book, words per sermon, oh. whatever. One point I did Google before this. Has anyone ever uh, sued someone over a copyright infringement of the Bible? And the only thing that came up that I saw was um, I, forget, I don't know which publishing house it was, but they they uh, sued the Mormons. And I find that hilarious. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> well, it just comes to the thing like we're talking about the Bible. This is the Bible. 
the right. thought of of asking permission to share God's words that he shared with us, you know, rubs me so unearthly wrong. Mm-hmm. So even if I am not going to use enough words of a passage in order to uh, be beyond the limit where I have to license it, on a strictly moral level, I generally do just stick with the net Bible for everything I share because it is the free Bible. That's the way the Bible should be. Yeah, Hiding the Bible behind licenses, it feels so unearthly wrong. It feels just mm-hmm. as wrong as the Catholic church killing people who tried to translate it into English or the other people exactly who tried to keep of. it. Exactly. When you have a group of people who says, you know, you're, you know, you're not allowed to do with the Bible what you want. That's just horrifically wrong. Now, thankfully, you know, uh, Tyndale isn't hunting people down for sharing the new living translation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Zondervan and Thomas Nelson with their, you know, militias or something going after people. That's thankfully not, not the deal. You're not going to be burned at the stake for using new King James in a blog post, but the, the fact of the matter still stands. So yeah. I do kind of have my own little moral crusade that no, almost nobody knows about <laughs> where I <laughs> so use when my you have uh, net the- Bible. When you have the King James version, which has been around since, you know, King James. 1609, uh, right. Something like that. Yes. Bad translation. Yep. So, okay. So I know that <clears throat> when you use classical music off of YouTube, for example, it's that classical music has been around for hundreds of years, possibly since the 1600s. But because it was recorded by this symphony or this record company, that music in its recorded form becomes the property of the people who played it or recorded it. Instead of, you would assume something like Beethoven, for example, would be free to use. It's Beethoven, it's hundreds of years old, but it actually probably belongs to Sony because Sony is responsible for the recording, it's responsible for paying Ah. the musicians or whatever it is. So when you have something like the King James version, are you dealing with a similar instance where it's like, that printed version exists because X company placed it on the internet or X company printed it in a book form. And therefore, even though the material is for use, the form in which it's presented to you is not. Is that kind of what we're dealing with here? Well, the King James version, you know, called the authorized version, you can use that (laughs) anywhere you want. You could use that in place of the net Bible if you want. That okay. is, if you want to use a version, a very bad translation of the Bible, you can use that, you know, anywhere you want. <laughs> okay. But uh, can you elaborate? It's old on English. That? Well, well, okay. I, mean, I see. Because at it's the not very, in at the very, yeah, not only that, but but it is important to have the Bible translated in your actual working language. Like, yeah. um, mm-hmm. if you can't understand it, it doesn't count. <laughs> even if it's technically in your mm-hmm. language, you know, um, right. in my, you know, opinion, but also on a technical level, the trans, the King James is a very bad translation. There's lots of things that they got very wrong. Um, one of the most oh, yeah. glaring ones is their dramatic overusage of the word hell, you know, yeah. Gehenna. Gehenna is, is or a word. As well. well, they mix them up horrifically yeah, it's and wild. it's based on a, like a theological presumably you know uh bent like they're trying to make points 
Or you could even say that maybe it was just the Catholics trying to scare people into their doing their taxes, whatever, because of course the taxes went to the church. But once again, another great big thing to talk about. But for example, you know, it says, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in Proverbs, you know, says uh, taking a stick to a child to save them from hell. That's what you read in the right. Bible or in the right. King James Bible. And I have heard so many very disturbing people say, therefore, it means you have got to spank your kids in order to yeah. um, save mm -hmm. them from going to hell. And what? that can't, that is so horrifically wrong. That is not what, what are you talking about? But these people are making now a theological argument for using violence against their own children. And that's disgusting. That's very disturbing. And the King James says hell, which gives the impression that it's talking about, oh, your eternal, you'll be, your child oh, will be eternally stinkings. damned if you don't, yeah, if you don't do this, that's okay. But if you look at the actual text, okay, it's not talking about hell. The word hell is nowhere in the Old Testament. It The word there is Sheol, the place of the dead, okay? It's talking about uh, death. Right. And of course, the word used for child doesn't mean a little kid. It means like an adolescent. So it's saying you can, you know, knock some sense into your child if you must. Don't let them just kill themselves. <laughs> right. That's basically right. what that proverb is saying. It has not, It's not so, saying you have to spank a child in order to save them from going to hell. That's nuts. Right. And in the New right. Testament, you have a lot of these things as well. Hades is death. When you read about Hades, it's talking about death, the grave. Anytime you read Sheol, it should be translated the grave or death. When you read Hades, death, okay, or the grave. Not Gehenna. But Maybe. yeah, no, all throughout the Old and New Testament, they have hell where it shouldn't be, which makes, because of people's understanding of hell, you know, it, not even Gehenna, because of the understanding of what hell is, oh, eternal damnation. They assume, oh, all these things now are about eternal damnation. When what are you talking about? No way. But for whatever reason, they went through and they did that. And it's so, very bad. This is very interesting to me because I will have, I, I grew up in the South. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of people say to me this phrase that they believe, I believe every word of the Bible is God breathed. And principally what they're saying is correct, that the Bible was given to us, revealed to us by God. Principally, that's correct. But when you consider all of these like levels of translation and mistranslation and, um, you know, different webs of things that we're having to go through to get that English tome that you're handed as a child in whatever church that you go to, that you're saying, I believe every word of this text that I'm holding is God breathed without sort of like this background knowing I, I this is the first day of my life I've ever heard of Westcott and Hort and what their motivations might have been and how the Bibles that I've read in the past very well are probably influenced by these two gentlemen who had their own reasons, not necessarily spiritual reasons for what they what, what they decided to include or not include, even down to the King James Version. And so it's very interesting to me that you have these people with this diehard belief of every word of the Bible was God breathed. And the Bible means the book that I'm holding in my hand right now. And so that um, may be a side point, but I think relative to uh, what we're talking about, something to think about when you consider, yeah, yes, it, what you're holding is inspired by the word of God, 
but every single sentence in it breathed by God without the hand of man in it at all, I'm not sure that that's true. Well, I think part of the issue is that most people are handed Bibles and not told how to read them. Sure, or not yeah. taught how to read them. Um, there is, uh, I, I really like Tim Mackey from the, the Bible Project. I was listening to something that he was doing the other day, and he said, if I could do, it'll never happen, he said, but if I could do anything, I would teach people ancient Hebrew first and then hand them the he Hebrew scriptures in that order so mm -hmm, that you could mm -hmm. actually read it and understand what it was from that reading rather than yeah. coming in and just reading it in English the first time because e it is like a game of telephone and we have to understand the different points in time and how things worked. We need to understand context and history and the authors and all of this stuff to start to really like I'm I've been reading the Bible since I was what three years old like third I've been reading it in some way or listening to it since I was for 30 years and mm -hmm. yet I'm right now as I'm studying and listening to stuff daily I'm learning things I never would have ever considered mm -hmm. because I'm mm -hmm. learning what the Bible is and I think that yeah. that's a really important thing is learn what this book is because people be like, Oh, well you can't take the Bible literally. And it's like, you're talking about 66 different books of varying genre. Some are history, some are, some are narratives, some are parables, some are poems. Of course you can't take all of them literally because mm -hmm. a lot of it's metaphor and it's pointing towards a theological truth. But at the same time, imagine I've heard too, so many people say you have to take every page of the Bible literally. And it's like, yeah, Good luck reading Jonah, because yeah. that's satire. <laughs> yeah, that's a specific, so like, um, the Jonah thing is a specific thing my husband and I have talked about when he's like, so you're telling me that literally this happened. And I'm like, uh, interestingly enough, almost that same day, we ran across a news story about a whale swallowing a guy and then spitting him up again. Um, <laughs> legitimately, there was a news story in the news about that. And I was like, <laughs> like, so, but that's interesting. Yeah. But that's the thing you, when, when we read Jonah, this is one of the things kind of lost to most people to history is you read, first off, it's been veggie. It's been gone through the, the veggie tales, um, filter over okay. time. So <laughs> most people, when they think of Jonah, they think of just the fish. They yeah. don't think of, they, they may think of the worm. They may think of the plant. They may think of these different things, but they have no idea that they're reading a book that was written with satire. Like it's a, it's, it's an excoriation of the Jewish people. Like he's, he's pointing at them saying you are Jonah and Jonah's not the good guy, mm -hmm. but we, you don't get there if you don't know how to read different ancient types and genres of, of writing like apocalypse get lost. The same goes for translation. You can't yeah. translate every bit of the Bible the same as you do another bit. Okay? okay, the poetry has to be translated as poetry. Okay, the narrative needs to be translated as narrative. Like, if you if you ignore the literary styles in the translation and the reading, you miss mm -hmm. the point, or or you miss a large portion of it. I mean, so somebody was. Go ahead. Sorry, it's just funny because I I got in an argument like I normally do with random people at this time <laughs> at the. It was at the Bible bookstore, and she was trying to tell a lady to get the NASB, and I had to. I was like, "Well, you know," she, she was like, "Let's so wait, just agree to disagree, me, sir." I was like, "Okay, you sh you're 
You're telling me that you got into an internet fight off the internet? No, it was a real person fight. In oh yes, yes, that's. Me. <laughs> I don't about everything, you know. I mean, I don't holler at every idiot who has a mask on their face, even though they look like idiots, you know. But um, I when I'm like, there are better translations, you know. They did terrible job on a lot of it. I mean, just because they, yeah. Either well, way. yeah, and I think I think that's interesting about the NASB, the in the, the NASB, NLT, NIV. People don't even know what they're looking at when it when it comes to that because, like you mentioned, some are more formal, some are you use the word paraphrase, but typically the way they talk about it is thought for thought versus word for word, and so mm -hmm. the NASB is a it's for every Hebrew or Greek word that's they go in that order, which. If you're re if you're a Hebrew reader, like if you've studied Hebrew and you read it that way, that tells you something. <laughs> you're able but to read normal some of those people ways. don't speak like Yoda, you know. Right. They don't put the object before the the verb, you right. know, or and right. they don't. And in they front don't, of a sentence. Yeah, you just don't do that in normal speak. That's not how English works. Okay, that's how Greek works Hebrew or Hebrew works. works. Yeah. Exactly. You don't do that with English. So when somebody goes, hoo, 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 I'm going to make the most accurate translation of the Bible, and they ignore the, the language they're translating into, like how we read stuff, then you yeah. it's a bad translation. The NASB, in many ways, is a bad translation because we can't understand it on a just on a regular reading basis by most people just by reading it. Okay? Right. It defeats the purpose of a translation if, if you read it and it doesn't, it doesn't come off in words you could understand that's also why you know once again back to the king james you know half those words people don't understand not i mean so guess what it's a bad translation for today it's a bad translation to give to some random person they need to be able to understand it if they can't understand yeah. it it's a bad translation maybe because times changed or people's understanding of theology changed or whatever mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. reason is I mean, a lot of my favorite translations aren't the one-for-one -one translations of the Bible. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite New Testament translations that I read uh, quite regularly is Kenneth Wiest's expanded translation, because one of the rules that people use uh, for when they want to make super accurate translations is they always say one word for one word. You know, so that's yeah. that's a real goal. We're going to try and use one word for one word in the Hebrew and the Greek to English. That's cool. And that's how you end up with New King Bad James and NASB and ESV <laughs> and all these other translations. OK, but Kenneth Wiest said you can't translate one word for one word because the Greek and the Hebrew words carried a lot more with them than yeah. can be summed up in many times in one English word. Right. So Kenneth Wiest said, I'm going to do my own translation. Nothing wrong with that. I'm all for individual translations. Let's get more people out there translating the Bible, not behind closed doors. So Kenneth Wiest mm -hmm. said, I'm going to do it. And rather than have a goal be one for one word, I'm going to use as many words as I need to, to give the full understanding of what this word meant, you know, when they gave that word. So all verses you read are like three times as long as they are in the Bible. You know, his New Testament is as long as the Bible, you know, the book itself, how thick it is. Right. But that's because he gets the full meaning of the word, you know, that from the Greek or the Hebrew in his translation. So I find it fascinating to read that, you know, when I just want to get a better understanding of a, of a certain passage in the Bible, you know. And then you also, so, yeah. 
Do you have a, a specific translation that you recommend that sort of combines both of these elements where it's as close to a one-to-one -one translation as it can be while still being understandable? Oh, there's, there's a lot. Like if you want to, so that's the thing. There is no one answer. It's always yeah. a, a collection. If, okay. if you want a Bible that you can sit down and read like a novel and just, just smooth, just work your way through it. I always yeah. across the board recommend the new living translation. The new living okay. comes from West Cotton Hort's manuscripts, like everything else, but you know what? You're just, it's in divided into paragraphs. You're going to read it and you're going to get through it and you're going to enjoy it. And you're going to learn a lot from it. And you're going to get the gist of what you're reading in the Bible from it. It's fantastic right, right. in that sense. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're talking about, you know, just in-depth study and you really want to get at the meat, well, in many cases, I will say the New King James because the New King James comes from the good manuscripts, the received text. Though at the same time, I also, when I'm studying, I also look at, you know, a number of commentaries, which also give more. I look at the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible took a different approach. They were cool. They said, hey, some of these words, there's multiple ways to understand them in the original language. So rather than tell you this is what the word is, we give you the words. So you have a verse, you start reading it. And then for this one word, there's like five and you can say, so it's, oh, so it's one of these five was meant here. Five okay. English words yeah. that, you know, each mean the different meanings of that. So, you know, also because but, English is very limited in that way because we will have yeah. one word, whereas in Greek, that one single word will have 15 different meanings. I often bring right. up the example of the word love. We have right. this word love and it's supposed to mean like one, one what, word, familial love, romantic love, love between you and your children. These are all love very different. Love between you and your favorite food. Right, right. And there's- We take like very... five Greek words and translate them all love. Yep. Right, right. And so I feel very limited sometimes by my language um, that I don't have 15 words for love because love is, is like that and expansive well, and it's not the only thing that's like that. That's why I also read people like Kenneth Wiest, because then you'll get that expanded. I want someone to do that with the Old Testament, okay? So who's the Old Testament Kenneth Wiest? I'm looking for that guy. If someone uh, knows about <laughs> it, put it in the comments so we can see that. <laughs> but, you know, it's a combination. Now, if you're talking about the people who best, you know, um, capture the different literary styles, as in, you know, the narrative reads like narrative history and the poetry reads like poetry... And the 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 metaphors sound sound like big, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, apocalyptic metaphor stuff. Like they just they just it just fits and it sounds. It, yeah. You understand the the literary style based on just reading the words. ESV did that really well. The English Standard Version. I've I seriously, their Psalms are just incredible. Uh, hmm. In that translation, they're they just flow very well, and it feels like you're reading poetry which that gets lost in so many translations because it's just about getting the words right when they forget, no, we're translating poetry here. There's, there's more to poetry. Poetry isn't just about the words that are lined up. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's about the flow, but the ESV translation is also a bad translation in my opinion, because too much of the reformed theological bent comes out in the actual text of the translation. So I don't, okay. you know, just like recommend that to some regular person to, to use. So yeah, when I'm normally recommending stuff to people, I say, if you just want something to read like a book, 
get the New Living Translation. Sure. If you want something to really try and study and get the most, just figure out exactly, just, just read the Bible in a more technical sense. There's the New King James, which I think is a fan, it really is a fantastic translation. Mm -hmm. But if you want something that is, you know, if you, if you like me, want something you can freely share and do anything with and comment on and put in videos and podcasts and audio and blogs and websites, use the NetBible. Or if you right. just are a libertarian and or an anarchist and you hate IP in general, get the NetBible. Right. So yeah, that's generally what I'll what I'll tell people, but <clears throat> I can talk about that though, for a long time. It is sad, though, when there are certain, I'm not going to say necessarily, I mean, yes, of course, we've talked about how some people who try to write psalms or different songs don't make them sound like songs or poems or anything like that. But there are also these little bits of um, poetic language, so not poetry, but poetic language that mm -hmm. are, that are, it's sad that you lose them. Because yeah. it's like in um, Genesis 1, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. So without form and void, in the original Hebrew, the, the words are tohu vavohu. So it was intentionally rhyming. And so it was, it was this, and it meant, you know, it meant more like, uh, I forget the name of the translator, um, but he had his own translation that he talked out of and what he used instead of without form and void was wild and waste so it kept an alliteration hmm. so it had that mm -hmm. same kind of feel to it as what the hebrew writers moses was trying to get at and i i i would love someone to go through i'm not a bible translator wish i was wish i wish i understood hebrew and greek better but I would love someone with that eye for poetic language to go through and find these little bits. Because apparently if you read the New Testament in Greek or in Aramaic, Jesus used puns. And you, you miss them because in English there's no way to make the pun work. Mm. Or they're just a it pun, not, not, not as a corny joke. But, right. Yeah. Yeah, but not as in a corny joke, but like, you know, I mean, yeah, puns are corny jokes a lot of the times, but it's a <laughs> wordplay. And so there's wordplay lost in English that we can't get. I'd love for someone to be like, let's get these these elements, these beautiful elements of human writing and put them back instead right. of these mm -hmm. kind of hard and fast, you know, this is what this means. This is what you need mm -hmm. to read. The One of the cool things, though, is that uh, how you read the Bible can bridge some of those. You know, yeah, you can't bridge all of them, but you can some, especially like, you know, in uh, when humor's used for whatever reason, we just insist on these very dry readings of the Bible all the time. <laughs> That's true. Especially <laughs> when you're when people are at the pulpit, you know, uh, like Jesus talking about, you know, uh, a log, you know, you're trying to pick the speck out of someone's eye, but you have a log right. sticking out of your own. That is a funny picture. Jesus yeah. was smiling. He's like, you're trying to pick a speck. You got this log. And, you, and you're imagining, you know, he's knocking people over with this big thing sticking out of his eye. And it's funny. And you can imagine people are laughing and Jesus is having fun. Yeah. He's painting a silly image. Okay. This is not like, mm, remove the log from your own. Like, come on. No. Right. There's lots of like, places like that. And that's one of the reasons I would love to make an audio Bible with you someday, Cam, because we could capture those. You know, yeah. we could smile when we read certain things and we could capture some of that, hopefully. And, and you know, so the people it could catch a little more. There's life, so much life in the Bible. There's so well, much life in there. It just gets lost when you're, and we just 
getting the words out. It's not just the words. It's never just right. the words. Well, in and, our, and, and like those little those little things, kind of like when um, Elijah was battling the prophets of Baal, and so they were like cutting themselves trying to get Baal to or Baal to set this on this this sacrifice on fire. And Elijah's sitting over there being a, a sarcastic ass. <laughs> he's like he's like, what's going on, guys? He's like, you're, you're having a hard time. You're cutting yourself. He, he's he's not. It, oh, is your is your <laughs> God taking yourself. a poop? Is he on the poop? Is he on the toilet? <laughs> It's, and that's what that kind of translates to. Or like if you go to, I want to say it was Jeremiah, either, either Isaiah or Jeremiah, who talks about <laughs> how his um, righteousness is, is filthy rags. What does that mean to you? A dirty rag. What does that mean to the people? What what did it mean? A woman's monthly. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> her pad essentially right like it th there are these things that 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 you miss because it's like oh well i'm not going to mention what that is in the bible people won't be able to handle that <laughs> uh, also like through our um study group we're reading the book of acts right now and i was surprised at how often i laughed out loud like it, <laughs> there's actually quite a lot of humorous turns and um, mm -hmm. I thought maybe, is this me? Am I just kind of a sarcastic person? Maybe I'm reading this wrong. And I was really heartened that other people in the group were like, no, that's funny. And I'm like, okay, well, good. John was the same um, way. You don't see it given that way. You don't see it given with humor. Yeah. There's a lot of sarcasm in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow it was people like, we'll miss that. It's like when, we're, when we're, we were yeah. reading John, we laughed on multiple occasions because every time john would mention judas he was always like you know that guy judas iscariot that judas that guy <laughs> you can tell he's like making sure you know exactly who he's talking the about. the son of simon <clears throat> that I always chuckle when john says you know the one that jesus really loved <laughs> the disciple right. that jesus really loved <laughs> yeah. thanks john right, right. yeah or, just or, or when they're <laughs> Or when he and Peter are running to the, <laughs> the the tomb and he's like, I ran faster. I got there first. Peter may have walked Had in. Had that out. Yeah, like, there what? <laughs> that got included for all posterity, for all generations, because he wanted everyone he to wanted know that to he won the sure race. wanted to make sure that everyone knew. Yeah, exactly. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. But that get, if you just are focused on getting spitting out the words, you miss that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's the Bible is an incredible thing, but you do well, need it. You need all yeah. of it. You need the words. You need the flow. You need the feel. You need God's Holy Spirit inside of you. Like that's it's it's an incredible book. But yeah. yeah. Well, like you were saying, we we we've talked about this a couple of times, but we're, we're talking about doing a an audio version of the net Bible. And I, that's something that, you know, we'll probably talk more about and try to figure out how we can do that and actually have the time to do it. And It'd only take you know, a year of working pretty much full time on that's, it. That's all. Well, gotta, we gotta just gotta set aside a year for that. Yeah. Get us <laughs> investors to pay us both for a year to work full time on that. That'd be nice. I'd be fine with that. Go fund me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or we could obviously, I was just talking to Hannah about that a few days ago. We could even do it by book. You know, as in this is how much it would yeah. cost for the time and energy to put it into to do a book. And then we would, you know, and we just go book by book and work our way through. You know, yeah. who knows? And it would when be you really crowdfund cool. 
that kind of thing. I think that there would be interest and people would be interested yeah. in having it done. So, you well, know, if you did it piecemeal, it'd be easier than trying to fund the entire project. Right. And we could do it piecemeal. And the, the point is we'd be doing it. Not only would we be, re be recording it, but we'd be making it an open API that anybody could get it. So currently you can easily, there's plenty of APIs for getting, uh, the Bible passages themselves, you know, you send a, a request over the internet for John 316 and you get John 316. Yay. That's cool. The net Bible is the best API for that in my opinion, but not for audio Bibles. The best uh, audio Bible you can get, I believe is ESV. But once again, excuse me, then you're dealing with a licensed copyrighted, you know, uh, book there. So you can't just stick it in your app for example, and use it at, and you're stuck with a, you know, ESV, uh, rather than a better translation. Mm -hmm. So a net Bible one, what we could do is we could have the, we obviously already have freedom to use the text of the net Bible and you could also have the audio that would match with the, yeah. with the net Bible itself. And you could have an API access so that if you have a website and you have Bible readings, you could easily, here's the, here's the reading, here's the audio or any, anything, you know? it'd be really powerful, really cool stuff. Well, and, if, and you, you, I would probably spend a lot of time on certain names and words because I've always wondered how I'm actually supposed to read this, how this is actually said. And it, you know, I'm going to sit in there and, and I'm going to write it out and find out the exact pronunci pronunciation and make it sound real nice. And then we're going like to record I, it. And I'm going to say, no, 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 no. Do it like this. No, no, no. Don't <laughs> really don't say that. And There's like, going to be a lot of back dude, and forth, <laughs> dude. Saying saying it this way is cooler. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, wasn't that sort of um, something that the early Jews thought was important to understanding Scripture? Was the argument, the argument between two people trying to understand what was written? That something something simply being written didn't make it understandable that you had to argue about it. And I had always gotten the impression that this was considered part of understanding scripture was to argue scripture, to, to lawyer yeah. it out, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's In what we case, do every week. I though, right? really understand scripture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and share. And share. And share. <laughs> Stick to the basics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just the idea of being able to read the Bible in, I mean, there's a, um, a James Earl Jones version of the King James version, which I'm sure is really great to listen to, but it's just going to be James Earl Jones sounding like James, like James Earl Jones. Not a lot Johnny of Cash did the whole new King James. That's fantastic. Mm. But just the idea of just sitting and reading it and trying to read it like I, or reading it into a microphone the same way I read it to my children is that sounds that I think that that's not that people are all children or anything like that, but it's like, that's how most people gain information is by listening to a good story through a good storyteller. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not saying I'm the best storyteller, I will say that my, my Waco red pills are pretty good. Um, but <laughs> I do, I do think that would be very helpful. I mean, even for me, <laughs> I mean, in Bible college, how many classes did you take on how to read the Bible out loud? None. Exactly. When I was in Bible college, I wasn't offered either. Like, seriously. 
Nobody thinks about that, but that is essential, especially since right. these were these stories were written to be passed down in many cases audibly, like told mm. to people. So how you read the Bible is incredibly important and it changes everything. I've been told, I mean, once again, put the disclaimer like you said, you know, I'm not the best storyteller in the world, but I've read passages to people and just reading it to them, they come, they say, I never saw it that way before. And I didn't give any mm -hmm. commentary. All I did was read it. You know, they say, I didn't real, I never, that never occurred to me. And I didn't say anything. All I did was read it because I mean, it's stories and what, how you read it has a huge, huge effect for better or for worse there's, on what you're reading. There's something to Sorry. that. There's something to that because I, um, I recently finished reading the brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, and, mm, um, then I watched the, it was, it was, it's actually a really good book. And then I watched the movie, um, last night, the 1958 Yul Brenner movie. And there were scenes Love which were, yeah, he was great. I, I was suspicious Always about whether great. he would be a good Dimitri or not, but he knocked it out of the park. Um, so I was watching the movie and there were scenes that were taken word for word from the book, obviously because it's a movie, some things got, you know, translated a little differently, but there were scenes that were word from word from the book and seeing actors portraying them um, co completely changed the context of the scene. And I was like, oh, I get what's happening here now. There was something about it when I was just simply reading it in the text version that some phronema or spirit of it that I didn't quite get. And then when I saw actors do like, interacting with each other physically interacting with each other in the scene i was like oh there's an element here that i was missing and so mm -hmm. there is something to hearing the story told or even seeing it that i think does. Well, that's why the chosen is so cool yes i love the chosen so good <laughs> but one chosen of the things i've noticed well um is like when we've been doing our bible study at first, we were just kind of reading it separately and then just talking through different points that we we thought of mm -hmm. through it. And then it's become me reading the NLT version and us kind of picking out different things and talking and mm -hmm. asking questions. Uh, not We haven't really argued much, but, you know, little little because we, we actually seem to like each other. So it's like it's like a, I think hey, it's this you can actually, actually like I each other and argue. Like <laughs> well, it's not it's not that we haven't argued. It's that the arguments are not aggressive. So there there is okay. this. I think it's this. You think it's that. So there's differences, but there's no aggression. And so it doesn't right. the word argument gets used um, to mean aggression a lot of times. And so we are having academic discussion, not an argumentation. We're not having arguments, which are right. different. Yeah. Right. We're not fighting. Fair enough. No, um, right. but between that and what's funny is as I'm reading it out loud, a lot of times things will jump out at me because I've read them out loud. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, same with when I read them, read it to my children. So, I mean, anyone who's interested in reading the Bible, I recommend sometimes sitting there when you're reading it and actually just reading it out loud to yourself, because mm -hmm. then you get, you, you start to notice things a little differently. Like we, when I was reading this last week in Acts, um, they mentioned that one of the one of Caiaphas and Annas's um, uh, relatives was named Alexander, and that's not important at all. But it was just a very interesting thing. Like, how does this Jewish man in Judea, that's a high one of the high priests, one of the high priests, how does he have such a Greco-Roman name? Mm -hmm. 
Like, where did that come from? How does that work? Because it seems, it just seems, and it's like one of those, I, you have to wonder if it was like, are we, how, how, how seriously did they take Alexander? You know what I mean? Like, because it seems like you're not being as Jewish as these people might have liked. It's, it's just these little things. And that one's not right. important. It's just what I remember from last week going, Alexander, Alexander, the, the, pre, the Jewish priest. Yeah. What? There's also that, that scene, that scene of where the man sells his farm. And then he brings part of the money and doesn't give all of the money. Right. Um, So my husband was reading that to me while I was doing dishes because we were both in this study group. But. Uh Oh, we're both in this study group. I really want to. Yeah, she just stopped. (laughs) Am I back? Okay, you're back. Yes. All right, so my husband was reading me the book of Acts while I was doing the dishes because we're both in the study group, and you know, it's it just makes sense. And I thought my <laughs> internet was going to be the problem. <laughs> both here, right at the okay, uh, it's not working, but it's it's not important. but what happened was the story of Ananias and Sapphira happened and he went, Oh dang. Yeah. So he's reading it. I can hear his voice changing as he's reading these different parts because I can hear it affecting him. I hear the way the story is landing on him and he goes, dang, like he's reading the story stops. He goes, dang. And I'm like, yeah, that's intense. Right. Whereas if I had been reading it by myself, I might not have like, I don't know, realized the impact, you know, or 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 felt the um, emotional tenor of it when as much as I would have hearing my husband's voice like change as he re- read that and being like, holy cow, like those people dropped story. dead. Yeah, it's a wild story. So well, that I think there is something is a- to the oral nature. Yeah. Yeah, this is an oral tradition. Yeah. Let's not forget that. More the Old Testament than the New Testament. I mean, the New Testament wasn't but, I mean, specifically even the... designed in like, it didn't have, you know, you're not reading the Gospels and it's like, and then he did like, like the creation account, you know, and there was morning and evening the first day, and there was morning and evening the second day, and morning and, you know, they're split into memorizable bits and they have refrains and they fit together and they make it very easy to memorize and the, New well, the Gospels, like that. it's like the Gospels, especially Luke, is a lot like that. Like there are these yeah, little places, stories, but not yeah. well, like the little stories of Jesus, his in his parables, how they're split up. They're split into these short things. In Mark as well, mm-hmm. because you know Mark, who was um, Peter's translator, that 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 was the eyewitness that was behind Mark, and so mm-hmm. you he heard um, Peter speak so many different times and that that was something i was listening to earlier today it was it was still very oral uh very very oral tradition up until mark which was the first gospel that was written and then mark was shared between you know matthew and luke and other eyewitnesses filled in different things it so it's it is interesting because it is still it's like the coming off of an oral tradition and into a written tradition and so it's in a very case, i would say that tension. Jesus spoke in such a way to make it memorable. He wanted people to be able to retell his stories, you know, as they went around. But then the writing itself, they were recording his stories, but it's not because they were writing it in such a way that they were trying to make it. Jesus created an oral tradition. 
is what and I'm he saying. was not that creating works. this oral, oral tradition for academics. Like it's very clear the audience he's speaking to are probably people who don't even know how to read. So it's not as though he's saying this will be the specific purview of theologians and 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 bookmakers and people who know how to read and write. Um, so I think mm -hmm. that that kind of gets lost sometimes in the theology and where I'll hear these 15 letter long dispensationalistic, you know, types of things. And I'm like, this is above my pay grade. I need to, I need to be able to sit on the ground and listen to the story. And that's what, who I think the, this especially the stories of Jesus were meant for people who were sitting mm -hmm. on the ground at his feet, listening to him talk not people with pens and paper, just thought. <laughs> well, if you want to talk about the pens and paper people, they annoy the goodness out of me uh, in many <laughs> cases. Like, I don't know if you've read much, like, harmonizing of the gospel, like, uh, of the gospels, you know, you have people who try and fit them together, you know, right. as in this Bible's, or this, this uh, gospel says that they were leaving Jericho when this happened. This gospel says they were entering Jericho when this happened. Which was it? How do we know the Bible's true if, if it gives two <laughs> different things? Or it says Jesus gave this sermon on the hill, or this, but over here it says Jesus gave the sermon at the foot of the hill. Was he on the hill or at the foot of the hill? Mm. And in the sermon here, Jesus said this, but the word he used over here was this, which one's correct. You can't really chant. You can't really trust the Bible. You know, when this really, is like a, a feature of and if you're a historian, people well, people look at that and they, they go back and forth as if there's one thing Specific, mm. like, this is just a completely random thing. But do you really think that Jesus gave one sermon per one place, an individual <laughs> sermon one time? Like, for example, when Jesus was on the hill and he was on the mount and he gave a sermon. Okay. Then you read in Luke where he's not on the mount or he's at the foot. And you read another sermon that's a lot like that. You don't have to fit those together. If Jesus gave one sermon on a mount and one at the foot of the mount, why wouldn't he say that some of the same stuff? Like what teacher right. only says one thing to one group of people and only something to someone else? As Jesus was traveling, he was giving his message. He was preparing mm -hmm. messages and he was giving them and teaching them. So if there's little difference or if there's similarities, that's because he's telling the same stories, given the same sermon potentially. And if there's differences, it's because he's telling them different places in many cases. To, mm -hmm. to to go all technical at it and be like, well, we need to figure out what he what is the truth here. Is it, you know, is Luke right or is Matthew right? No, they're both right. Jesus yeah. gave two sermons. That's Let's look of... at what what is Matthew trying to communicate by how he by what he shared Jesus said. And let's look at what Luke is trying to communicate with what he shared Jesus says. We don't have to mix them in together into one unified thing. That doesn't make sense. But this is the, the garden the, and Gethsemane problem, isn't it? So there in one book, there's a garden and in one book, there's an agony. Um, but so they put them together and they call it the agony in the garden, even though in the book where there's the agony, there's no garden. And in the book where there's a garden, there's no agony. So they kind of put them together. These both these uh, events occur at the same time or both of these things occur at the same time, a garden and an agony. So they call it the agony in the garden. Have you guys heard about this? I'm not familiar with the agony term. The, the, so, what do you mean? So the the agony is um, the agony in Right when he sweats blood and he asks, "Can this cup pass from me?" 
in one of the books, and I'm not going to oh. be too specific because I don't know. Um, one of the books, it talks about him being in a garden when he's arrested. And the second, in the second case, it talks about him having this agonized prayer. Mm -hmm. So one can assume he's having this agonized prayer in the garden where he was arrested, although the garden is not mentioned in the same book that the agonized prayer is mentioned. And okay. in the book where the garden is mentioned, the agonized prayer is not mentioned at all. But we can assume that these con that they conflate, that they're at the same time. So a lot of people will call it the agony in the garden. I've heard that right. phrase used many times. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem then becomes when people, you know, the, the I don't know, I don't know how you described them earlier, but the, uh, the, uh, the, out the pens audits, and paper people. Yeah. The pens and paper people, the, the people who, you know, they'll Academics. go, they're the ones who will go through yeah. and be like, well, was he or wasn't it? And let's go through and let's, as if, I mean, you read, right. you read, you, when you read the Bible, you first have to read things in the context of why they were written, like where they were written. So you read Luke in the context of Luke, in the context of the author, in the context of the time, and you read Mark and Matthew and John, you can put things together. There's nothing wrong with harmonizing. There's nothing wrong with, with taking, you know, what Mark says, uh, what Matthew says about the birth of Jesus and mixing that with what Luke says about the birth of Jesus to, to get a fuller story. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you can't then turn around and use that to change stuff inside the books. For example, right. if you, the one book says, in the garden so you can't go back to the other book and say because it's a garden that means that x y and z inside this book no that's that's just not the way it works right well and in one of what I, what I was saying earlier is if you look at how his historians look at eyewitness accounts the little discrepancies the little differences are actually a feature of a true retelling that is than true. It, than not because you know eyewitness accounts are going to tell you the same story and the same truth, but they're going to be Slightly people who's different. who see things a little bit differently, who right. remember things a little bit differently. But it's not at odds with the story and with yeah. the truth that's being shared. And so that's it's actually there being little differences actually proves that this was not something that was because if it was all just exactly the same word for word, it would look like they were all in a room together and they're like, okay, let's get our story straight. This is exactly what we're going to do. This is what we're going to say happened. But with these, which is what people say happened with the gospels, right? Which is what people right. claim. They say, oh, well, they're just the, someone just copied them, you know? No, but these little things, these little things that they say are contradictions and disprove the Bible are things that actually say, Hey, this is an eyewitness account. Right. And that's important to note, I think. There's a whole lot there. Like, this is the kind of thing you could just talk forever about, you know. But uh, reading the Bible is fascinating. There's just, yeah. <laughs> I do know that. I could bring when, up so many examples. <laughs> when I tried to read the Bible as an atheist, it made no sense. And you should even try to, like, take the fact that it's in Old English, for example, into account and try to understand it from that perspective. You're like, this just doesn't make any sort of sense. And there is so much context that you're just not willing to go through. If you are an atheist, you don't have that much interest in it. You just yeah. want, you're reading it specifically to sort of debunk it. And so you don't really have the um, stamina that it takes to try and understand something this old and it just doesn't it's not you know on its face grabbing you and gonna tell you 
what it's about because you're not Theophilus. You're not the person that letter was written to. You're some other person thousands of years later with a completely different set of morals, most of which is based on the fact that this book has existed for 2000 years or yeah. roughly thereabouts. So your entire mental process is based on this stuff existing and it's not being written for people who already had this thought process in mind. Like a lot of um, e even atheists today, their entire moral backbone is based on Christian theology. Like why you think these things are right or wrong comes from this, you know, thousand to almost 2000 years of moral traditions that come from Christianity. And so mm -hmm. you're not you're not the audience. And that was an important piece of understanding. I wasn't able yeah. to read the Bible until I understood that I wasn't the audience, especially yeah. for the you're Old not Testament. Timothy. Right. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not the, you're not the Colossians. Right. But also at the right. same. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> know what was going on at, in those cities. <laughs> at the same time, there's certain parts of the Bible that are specifically written that way. You know, Jesus specifically yeah. spoke things in such a way that if you were just there for the surface, you wouldn't get it. Mm -hmm. And he said right. it explicitly, you know, seeing they won't see, yeah. hearing they won't hear. As in, if you just hear it and you just take it on it, I just go. If you aren't invested, if you aren't actually seeking out the truth, mm -hmm. if you don't think past the surface, if you just take the sound bite, you're going to get nothing. Yeah. Because he meant it to be, to be, and that's how he would, you know, he'd thin his crowd. It's like, oh, you really want to follow me? You want to drink my blood? And people go, yeah. this dude's nuts. And they turn and walk away. And, but the people are left. They're the ones who are sitting there thinking, okay, now what does he mean by that like what are mm -hmm. we like and they're thinking through same with the parables most people heard those and they go what depending on which ones some of them were meant specifically to be clear but still other ones right. were meant to mask the truth so that you had to think through it with the help of god's holy spirit to find the, to find the truth there but bibles i mean it's the most fascinating book in the world like you were saying cam you know you read and listen to it every day and you always find something new that's just the way the Bible is. It doesn't matter how many decades you spend in it. Every day you can open that book, start reading at almost anywhere and find something new. It's nuts. Well, and, and not to mention as you're reading it and you're and you start going into context, if you start going into historical context as well as mm -hmm. geographic context, the author, all of this, you start reading it and you you're you're learning these things and you're going you're actually what you're reading is arguing against what your parents taught you or mm. what that pastor at your church when you were seven taught you or whatever. Right. Because it's like, oh, well, he obviously didn't know this little part. He didn't Hell know. being probably the easiest example to point to. Just that they get yeah. so freaking for me, wrong. For me, it was um, St. Paul in his entirety is really misconstrued by um, non-believers. They take yeah. St. Paul as a great <laughs> villain. Because he says, well, you know, women should Bizarre. be submissive to their husbands. But then they stop there and don't read how there is so much more after that that's directed at the husbands. Like, there's <laughs> yeah, it's gonna not just... To, you're going you're gonna to have to be willing to die, dude. Are you, were you willing to die? <laughs> right. And so now um, it's so funny because I considered St. Paul this great misogynist, this great villain. And now he's one of my favorite saints. I, I think that was I love one of our first conversations. Romans is a beautiful book. It's so beautiful. And it is taken 
when it's taken out of context, it seems so evil. And it, that's a crime to me that people, mm -hmm. especially women, are fed this idea of Paul going, well, he, he said, be submissive to your husband. What a jerk that guy is. And I'm like, yeah, did you read what he said about husbands? Because there's a lot, there's a lot more <laughs> responsibility placed on men. Well, that, there's just so much, yeah, there's so much wrong with how people especially construe the, the men and women stuff in the Bible. Like it's yeah. absolutely nuts. They I just, agree. people love to pick and choose what's prescriptive and what's descriptive. You know, what's mm -hmm. speaking into a culture and a time and what is God saying, I want you to do this. Jesus, what he says is there's a lot of prescriptive stuff there. Okay. Love your enemies. Like do good to people who hurt you. Live like me. Put down your sword. Okay. Those are God's Jesus is telling people how to live. But then you have Paul when he's speaking into a church where there's belligerent women who are standing up and messing up the service to make their points or whatever. And he goes, those women, I don't even let them stand. I don't let them speak. What are you talking about? <laughs> Right, right. It's not, Paul, not, it's not no woman. Paul making a rule that no woman can ever speak inside of what, a church building? They didn't even have church buildings. What are you talking about? You're saying that right. no women spoke? If women couldn't speak, then why did Paul bring Priscilla and Aquila along with him? Priscilla right. was, she was a teacher. She was teaching people. Paul brought her along to teach. When he talked about her, he said Priscilla and Aquila. He put her name first. Okay, the woman. Okay, she was the she was a teacher. The end of Romans, he talks about the woman apostle. Like, come on, there's, yeah, it's just nuts. Or, and, even, or even when he's talking to, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say Timothy, when he's talking to Timothy, okay, he goes, uh, you know, I want the elders should be the husband to one wife. To which people say, he says one wife, that means they're men. So care, clearly, all elders are men. There's no women. <laughs> but he's talking to a guy who's over churches where the elders are men. So he's talking to churches with men saying they have to be a husband of one wife. That does not in any way mean that a woman who's gifted with a pastoral gifting is not allowed to act as an elder or allowed to act as a teacher or allowed to act as a as in a pastoring role. There's nowhere in the right. Bible that says that. And on the contrary, you can look at what Paul said in Galatians and other things where these where these divisions that people had come apart. You know, mm -hmm. it's no longer a hierarchy with God here, man here, this women, children, like God turns it on its side and says, nope, I'm up here and you are down here. It doesn't matter you're rich or poor or white or black or this or that or men or women, mm -hmm. you're down here together. So we are, we are equals under Jesus. Okay. That's the new hierarchy. It's and it Jesus seems here, even us here. It seems even there was a specific focus on undoing that sort of old order of things and the fact Very that he did so. carry yeah. women in his group. That women were the first uh, people that he appeared to after the resurrection. So there's oh, all this sort of like, oh yeah, yeah, turning he, he things on its that head. That stuff left and right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He he addressed the poor directly. He didn't go to the the temple and sit in a temple with the learned men and teach them the whole time. He walked around the countryside, except when teaching he was a the kid. poor. Except for that, okay. So it's not saying that <laughs> he never did that. The one time he hung that. out with the yeah. learned men was when he was a little child. And they're like, right? <laughs> What's he doing that? And then, but beyond that, he's also, you know, giving sermons to people who can't read and write, who aren't consider, who are considered unclean, who mm -hmm. you know shouldn't even be allowed in the temple to even learn this stuff in the first place. The woman with the issue of blood, 
she wouldn't have even been allowed anywhere near a religious service. You're not allowed to leave and, home with that kind of with that kind of illness based on Mosaic law, right. or at least their understanding of Mosaic and law. He says she shouldn't have her, left the house at all. <laughs> your faith healed you. He's mm -hmm. like he he turns around, he stops everything. Everybody's walking along. There's this great cacophony around him. He feels that power go out of him and he stops everything to make a special point of it. And I don't think he's chastising her in that scene. No. He's telling her, your faith healed you. And he wanted everybody to stop and think about that and know about that. And I was like, wow, this is, me and Cam <laughs> talk about all the time how this was a human rights revolution. It was a women's rights revolution. It was a, a class equality revolution. Like everything that people try to accuse it of being, it's the opposite of that. It really, especially for that time. Yep. Even well, yeah, the, Jesus had... I was say Jesus brought an upside down kingdom. Yeah, that was the That's, the paradigm was flipped. Jesus changed stuff. He made the he he was the teacher who came and made the mountains flat. <laughs> like, who does that? You know, he's just everything. The whole paradigm, it's all changing. But I was mm -hmm. going to say even James and John's mom. You know, they she comes yeah. to talk to Jesus. She's petitioning on behalf of her sons. You go, what? What do you mean? Isn't it supposed to? Should the you know they, we're talking about men here, and and mom yeah. is gonna show up and but you know jesus gave her time to to speak her mind and she felt you know freedom to do that you know to speak on behalf of her kids but yeah no it is people miss so much of that in the new testament which is crazy um one of my favorites is in galatians since i mean you've got me thinking about paul but yeah. paul was anti-elitist and mm -hmm. i mean people miss that it's crazy. But in the beginning of Galatians, he's talking about when he was just getting into everything. And, and you know, he uh, gave his life to Jesus. Then he went out into the desert and went to, you know, Jesus's personal Holy Spirit Bible school for two years. And then he came back and it says, and then I went to Jerusalem, you know, to spend some time with uh, with the people there. You know, whoever they were makes no difference to me. He could have said, you know, the apostles, the, the 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 big ones, but he basically says, "Yeah, you know, when to spend time with the big wigs, you know, whatever names, it doesn't make a difference to me." In terms, like he was not about titles, about you're the elite one, and I'm. I mean, it was we are here, you know. Mm -hmm. And he, he chastises Peter when he treats other people as as others in that same book. Soon after that, you know, because. Peter comes and starts eat and will only eat with the juice. And Paul's like, excuse me? What the heck is with that? Yeah. yeah. Paul was, dude was incredible, really. And 100% yeah, uh, so of the uh, of the things that he's criticized for, especially by non-Christian folks, it's just not fair. It's just because yeah. they don't read him. And then other right. stuff, yeah. like you could also take some of his stuff implicitly and say like, well, why would he say that? That seems pretty intense. Doesn't Jesus say to be loving? Okay, but what's what's the issue? Because Paul is intense, that doesn't change God's heart. That doesn't change what Jesus said. It means mm. that Paul in that in that case was very intense in that moment with that thing he says. It means Paul was angry in that moment. It doesn't change right. truth. It's Paul was a person and Paul also grew up in a culture. So he was shaped by his culture as well. Just like when he talks about Rome and the way he, he uses specific Roman words and phrases and speaks the fact 
he actually treats the Roman government with more respect than he teach than he treats church elders. But and what I re respect again, so much about Paul is angles. that he's he's very self-deprecating too. He's like this; these are all the ways that I'm a screw up, you know. Mm -hmm. And you find it very relatable. It's like someone mm -hmm. who is this great saint of the church is talking about things that affect me, you know. Um, you know, like my flesh is willing my spirit is willing but my flesh rebels and things of that nature chief of sinners yeah mm -hmm. the chief of sinners and you're like man you know if this is the gr one of the greatest saints of the church and here he is admitting fully and openly like laying his dirty laundry out there basically and being like i am a screw up and so if even i can't get this you're not going to get it either none of us are going to get this we need god that's the whole point like I just, I found that so, um, I don't know, I, it really made me identify with him and mm -hmm. want to listen to him more because it was like he understood it was like to be human. Like when in you a read really... what he's, yeah, when you read yeah. what he says, the, the idea of Paul as some sort of misogynist, elitist weirdo just, right. just, just completely collapses. Absolutely. 100% yeah. completely collapses. It is yeah. completely irrational. And it's just a demonic lie. I mean, or just the result of people just looking at sound bites, which yes, you can and take that, you can take sound bites from anything. You can take sound bites from lots of people who said terrible things in the Bible and make it sound like they're saying nice things. You can take sound bites from people saying good things and make it sound like they're saying uh, bad things. You know, and then you also that, have that is how the saying? evil one would work too. Is that he <laughs> would want you not to take Paul on not to really like try and understand him. So it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. how, how out of context can we throw this into popular culture? And that just, right. is, that's the way that the dark one works, you know? So well, try and take the guy at his words and not what other people are telling you his words are. That's really important. Yeah. Well, you read screw tape letters recently, didn't you? I thought, you Oh my God, I'm not over that book yet. That, that book really messed me up. I'm not gonna In a lie. good way, I hope. <laughs> In a good way. Um, also, like, I'll catch myself and I'll be like, am I being tempted right now? And like, really try to like examine my own behavior, which I, I mean, it's not that I had never had moments of self-reflection, but they usually came after, hmm. <laughs> you know? So well, now I'm so kind much, of being like, yeah. yeah. There's so much that's brilliant in that book about the idea of, you know, you don't just tell someone they're wrong. What you do is you, you take where they're going and you say, oh, that's good. And you encourage that, like, mm -hmm. but just you kind of veer it off into something else. For example, can we trust the Bible? Can we trust, you know, that that the Bible is God's message to us? Yes. All right. So the, the Satan doesn't say, you can't trust that stupid book. Because a Christian would say, no, no, we can. It's, it's God's book to us. We can trust it. So Satan instead would push, okay? We, we can trust it. Yeah, yeah, you can trust it. In fact... Every single word in the entire book is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single word in the entire book, every word in the book is is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every word in the book should be should be read literally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then you have people saying every word in the Bible is right and true, and 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 should be literally interpreted. And you end up with like what you were saying earlier, where you have people who are just completely misunderstanding the Bible because they're believing that to be the case. There's tons yeah. of stuff in the Bible that isn't true. There are people who say things that are wrong. There are bad people mm -hmm. who say things that are bad. 
There's good stuff in the Bible. There's bad stuff in the Bible. There's true stuff in the Bible. There's false stuff in the Bible. Like the Bible is a book of writings by humans. There's tons of cultural stuff in there. Like, do we really think that God specifically, you know, uh, brought the rain every year to, to the crops in Israel? Or at that time, when the rain came, did you not say, ah, and the spirits brought the rain? Or in the Jews' case, our spirit brought the rain. You know, yeah. it's not a matter of, like, that's, if you're taking it literally, you're then saying that God is like, all right, rain time. And then it starts raining. What are you talking about? Like, you lose the Bible when you start going down those roads. And the same with Paul. Mm -hmm. you, you get to this point where you're taking things and you, you pull the human out of the text. You know, mm -hmm. you pull Paul out of the text and then you just, or any parts of the Bible. But that's the number Most one of the time way in people Paul, are able to. People pulling history out of text and trying to read the 21st century into ancient mm -hmm. Israel. Oh, yeah. There's a specific <laughs> passage in Romans that I think a lot of people in our circles and our cultural circles like to latch on to and sort of come to mean their own thing about their politics in <sighs> their day. And you're well, like, Romans ah. 1. Seriously, Romans 1, though, it's used by everybody against people. It's used mm. by the left against the right and by the right against yeah. the left. They twist it around. Rather than just taking it in its in its in its just what it says, it damns yeah. all of us. Let's just yeah. let's just admit that Romans one leaves no room for anybody to be righteous. You don't even have to get to Romans three and you're already damned. Okay, every single person, like, yeah, seriously, the people who would point to one portion of Romans one and then say, now those are the bad sinners. It's like, yeah, what about the next verse, buddy? <laughs> you know, what yeah. are you doing? This is making a case oh. of people, of people turning against God. And it includes every single human in the entire earth. If you don't see yourself in Romans 1, <laughs> you're you're missing the point. But yeah, that's like a lot of the Bible. They're like <laughs> all the Bible. People right. take the pieces that they want and ignore the pieces they don't want. Or they'll wrongly say that everything that they want to is prescriptive. It's God's rules for you, you know, and everything right. they don't want is descriptive. And as opposed to just letting the scripture speak for itself. And when it does, it becomes pretty clear, in my opinion. But, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that we're getting close to the end of this. <laughs> getting, getting, getting to that point. And so I thought... Uh, I would ask you the question, which I'm, I'm sure you're very excited about, Ryan. Um, what right now gives you hope and motivation to keep doing what you are doing? That's a bad question, man, because I'm not feeling very great recently. At the moment, I'm just working really hard, doing my best. Life is nuts. But... um. You know, I am very thankful that Jesus is there in the midst of all of our our ups and downs and life. And yeah. I have to say Jesus, even though it doesn't <laughs> necessarily feel great every day. But yeah, Jesus is always there, and I'm always thankful for that. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And uh, what's your favorite thing about Jessica? Oh. About Jessica. Yeah. Uh, he only asks well, this to make me uncomfortable, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 
there was something. I just can't think of what it was. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> no, there was, I was scrolling Facebook and your profile pictures, you and your husband. Yeah. And that is such a fun picture. And there was something that I saw yesterday and I chuckled when I saw that picture and I said, man, he looks so much like somebody. And I think that often when I scroll through, except now I can't think of who it was. So uh, you're welcome for not answering your question. There's something I love her pro. I like her profile picture makes me smile, but I can't remember why or what it is about the profile picture specifically <laughs> that makes me smile, but it's something about her husband. Her fa his favorite thing about you is Kevin. Yeah, that's great. That's fine. <laughs> Kevin's pretty awesome. Um, so when when he was in high school, we had a very long drawn out nickname for him, which was because um, he, he looked both a little bit like Tom Petty and a little bit like Kevin Sorbo, if they were like combined. <laughs> so we made up a movie that's quite title. A combination. Right. We made up a new movie title, which is um, Kevin is Kevin Sorbo in Tom Petty versus the Hydra. And that okay. was... <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a that's a long nickname. It's a long nickname, yeah. But so uh, Kevin's high school nickname was a movie title, and it was shortened to Tom Petty versus the Hydra most of the time. Yeah, well, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for coming back on the show, Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad that Thanks people me. Um, now know about the weird copyright history of the bible in some way that strangeness about different translations and different use the net uh, bible yeah use the net bible if you want us to record a version uh let us know because then we'll, we'll we'll get the ball rolling to try to figure out how exactly to do that um if you want to find ryan on twitter you can do that at techno agorist also he has a show that he does every once in a while uh, called Techno Agorist, hence the name. When I have like good internet. That, <laughs> when he has good internet, he has, doesn't have too much work and he has some inspiration. Um, but you can listen to that on any podcatcher or you can go to technoagorist.com. All right. So I'm going to make you stick around while I tell, tell them about what else is going on because I can do that to you. <laughs> I can make you listen to the boring stuff. All right. So... Coming up next week, we have our our good friend uh, Whippin' Spoon coming on the show. Yeah, that's 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 his real name. He is an almond far farmer out in California, and he's he's just a character. So he's going to be a fun person to talk to. After that, we have uh, Stephen Ignoramus joining the show, uh, which should be pretty fascinating in and of itself. Then we have our first Valentine's Day special, which because Valentine's Day falls between Wednesdays. So our first one's going to be with Brad Binkley. We're just going to have a love fest the day, the week before Valentine's Day. And then just after that, we're going to have Troy Frazier from Revive Thoughts back on to talk to us about St. Valentine and where the where Valentine's Day comes from, who it's named after. I didn't uh, even know it was a real guy. <laughs> beyond that, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the mad ones. Uh, we are on YouTube, if you're listening, you can watch us on YouTube, you can watch us on Rockfin, and you can watch us on Odyssey. We're, we're, we're uncancelable in that way. Um, if you want a t-shirt or a mug or a tank top, uh, wearethemadones.com slash store. Mm -hmm. I'm on Twitter at Cam Harless. Jessica's on Twitter at Soup Canarchist. And if you want to talk about the Bible more, 
we have a Bible study. Just reach out to me, send me a, a message on Twitter or tweet at me, whatever you want to do, and we'll get that sorted out and get you added in. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with, Ryan, before we go? You want to tell them that you deserve to be here? I am Ryan Burgett, and I deserve to be here. Awesome. Yeah, and with that, <laughs> uh, you have a chance to be a light in the world, so uh, go light it up. <laughs> <laughs>